Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 80, which begins with Max unleashing the supercharger, and it ends with bikies flying off a bridge. Happy Friday, Julia. Happy Friday. We are just thundering through the last act of this movie, it feels like. Yes, I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've built up to this for so long. Mm-hmm. Just that. biding our time with normal Max and professional Max. And now it's Mad Max. Yes. Finally. So we pick up this minute right where we left off yesterday with the front of the black on black just rumbling down the road. And we cut inside the car and Max does a series of actions. He pulls the knob on the supercharger. The blower starts spinning up. The RPMs surge and then Max pushes the shifter forward and just, we get a close-up on that blower, just rumbling, just shaking as he just speeds up. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, most of this went over my head. My notes say lots of things like thingy and the, you know, that red knob thing. And... <laughs> I say, I yeah, like... No. I like watching these sorts of sequences where the characters are just messing with greebles and things like that it reminds me of when you're watching star wars and you see han solo start flicking switches and turning knobs inside the cockpit of the millennium falcon before he tells chewie to take him to light speed or it reminds me of watching star trek and kirk is sitting there and he says mr sulu take us up to warp whatever it doesn't matter and george takei starts flipping knobs and turning switches and you know they fly off into space i really like watching these because it's terribly interesting to me even if they don't do anything uh, i'm kind of reminded of an interview i think it was alan tudyk was talking to someone about flying um, the serenity in the show yes, firefly i know what story you mean and he has like a specific sequence Yes. That he always does. Like a routine. Like it doesn't matter what he's told. Yeah. He always like hits those couple of different buttons. So when they redid the set for the movie. Yeah. It was the TV show set versus the movie set. So they had to, he had to go in and make sure that all of his buttons and knobs were in the same place. Yep. And I don't remember off the top of my head if Harrison Ford did the same thing for the Millennium Falcon, but he probably did. Probably walked into that cockpit after a while and said, all right, where's this? Where's this? You know, because he's grumpy and old. So right. <laughs> he, he would sound like that. I think scenes like this are why I'm such a fan of the movie Waterworld with Kevin Costner, because it's a lot of that. A lot of time in that movie is taken up by Kevin Costner doing something on his catamaran and different mechanical parts are moving around and... It's just a cavalcade of stuff and things and mechanisms, and I just get such a kick out of them. It's, I'm really the target audience when it comes to things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's, it's a good thing, but it is a thing. Absolutely. I, I just feel when I watch these things that the characters are really like the master of their own domain. Like, they know the inside of their vehicle so well that they just have this routine and they're able to rattle it off nice and quick. 
just like we see her with Max. He has the sequence down pat and he just unleashes it like a torrent. It's great. It does like bring you into the scene. It like envelops you and helps you to feel like this isn't a new thing. You know, th- this happens even when off- when it's off screen. The mm-hmm. same thing happens. And he's practiced at it and he knows how to do it. It builds a world for us. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of aspects of the Mad Max series coming down the road. Things like... Max, how he booby traps the Interceptor in Road Warrior, where it's a specific sequence to get gas into the machine, Mm -hmm. and by extension kind of out of it, where if he doesn't do X, Y, and Z, like if someone goes to open up the gas cap, the whole thing just explodes. Yeah. Uh, And then you've also got the war rig in Fury Road, where if you just hop in it and try and drive, it won't work for you, but only the Imperator knows the certain sequence to get that thing running and to drive it. And she actually has to sit Max down and kind of show him all the different steps. Right. Just Like I said, I'm big on stuff like that, for sure. So, like I said earlier, Max unleashes the power of the supercharger in the black on black to just charge through the Acolytes. They're kind of lined up on either side of the road, and he just barrels right through the middle of them. I'm curious when they figured out he was there. Because he has been following, following them for a them. while. Yes. I have a feeling that when he... when he Supercharged? Yeah, that's, that's when they when really took notice. They probably heard him. Because I, I kind of assume that the supercharge, the purpose of that was to move from his position of hanging back so they wouldn't know he was there into I'm going to ram you position mm-hmm. very quickly so that they couldn't avoid him. Right. So easy. And we get another sped up shot as we're looking over the roof of the interceptor here. And he just charges right through. And Johnny in particular is flung off the pavement onto the side of the road. And he kind of wobbles a bit before he just flops onto the side of the road. And sometimes these sped up sequences just look goofy. Okay, I know that we watch movies very differently. Yeah. Which is why we enjoy talking about them so much. I did not catch that at all. No? Usually when you talk about like a sped up sequence, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't notice. (laughs) The big thing that stands out to me when I'm watching a scene, I can tell that it's sped up because there are certain movements that you do when you're on a motorcycle that when they're in normal time... You know, they seem like very smooth movements, but when you speed up the footage of those movements, they start looking jittery. Yes. And I think that's probably the best way to point them out when you're watching. For instance, when Johnny goes off the road, his front end starts to wobble. And if it were a normal speed of film, it wouldn't look quite so herky-jerky. Yeah, that does make sense. But even you pointing it out, I still have a hard time seeing it. I... I don't know. I just watch it differently, I guess. I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment, so I have this idea in the back of my head that I should, after we're done with the movie, go through and pull out all the sequences (laughs) of sped up footage (laughs) and just like cut them together and with like yakety sax playing in the background. Oh, I think that would be great. Oh, well, the thing that would make that easier is the fact that I already have the movie already loaded into my editing software. All I'd have to do is go through and watch the movie again. As oh a, no, watch the movie again. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to go back and watch Mad Max the same way ever again. Like, I've spent so much time with it, and we're like I said, we're not even done yet. We've, we've still got a lot left. Right. I agree with you. I don't think I'll ever watch it the same again, but I think I'll watch it better. Right. Like, 
say a year down the road and I haven't seen the movie yet since this minute by minute analyzing and I just watch it I'm gonna see it completely differently once you start to pay attention to the little things the story really shines Mm -hmm. because there's a lot buried for sure so as I mentioned Johnny goes off the road and kind of flops over into the grass very unceremoniously yeah but not too like like he's safe yeah he's You can definitely tell... Like, his bike is fine. He is fine. Like, he wasn't... You can definitely tell that he wasn't going that fast. Right, which is why they sped up the footage. Exactly. Because if he had actually been going at speed, that crash would have been much more dangerous. Yes. Done quite a bit more damage. It would have looked more like the bridge scene that we're going to come up on the very end of this minute. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that infamous bridge scene that everybody loves is this minute. Yes. Yes. So excited to get there. So Johnny's off the road and all of the other lieutenants have kind of split and Max has driven down the middle. So the rest of them kind of regroup. Mudguts is in the middle of the road. He's got Starbuck and Diabondo on one side and Clunk kind of rolls up. And before Clunk really gets a chance to join the rest of them, Mudguts signals that they are to give pursuit. And I kind of like how Clunk is pretty much the only one that really stands out as far as looking back to see if Johnny's okay. The rest of them just kind of wait long enough to regroup and then go again. But Clunk was the one that actually took the time to make sure that the young gun was, you know, not seriously injured. Although it doesn't look like Clunk would have room to carry Johnny because the mannequin is taking up (laughs) quite a bit of room. Heaven forbid he give up the mannequin. Yeah. Well, he lost the first one. I don't think he'd give up the second one. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, this second mannequin is a blonde. I did notice that we get a real good look at her and uh, definitely a different mannequin. Yeah, you you win on that one. I'll take it. Yeah. I wonder what Clunk would have done if he hadn't turned to see Johnny already on his feet. Would he have stopped to help or was he just curious? Mm. I... I can't I can't picture him stopping him to help. No. I mean, they they've now encountered somebody who has attacked them and has not shown respect for their position in society. So now it's their responsibility to take care of that person. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I think well, see, I don't see Clunk necessarily as someone that would act without instruction, I think might be a good way to put it. To show any sort of initiative. Yeah, he seems like the kind of person that just follows orders. And the fact right. that Mudguts is the one that's kind of the senior ranking among them, that he's just going to follow Mudguts. Yes. And the fact that Mudguts says, okay, now we're moving, Clunk is like, okay, I guess we're moving. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the day, it's all about the gang, but at the end of the day, it's about what the boss says. Yes. You know what I mean? So Clunk's first thought was probably, oh, I, gee, I wonder if Johnny's okay, but then, but then it Mud doesn't Guts matter if Johnny's leaving. okay. Yeah, it, it seems maybe he, he paused right here to say, I have two options. Mm-hmm. I can go make sure Johnny's okay and give him help if he needs it, help him get his bike up. Or I can go with the group to avenge the insults upon our gang. Yeah. I think Clunk is definitely more inclined to stick with the bulk of the gang members. Yes. Go with the flow. He doesn't seem to me like the aggressive sort. Like when they were wrecking up the Chevy, yeah, he was on top of the Chevy and he was like putting his iron bar through the ceiling and whatnot. But when they dragged the participants out, like he was just sitting on the back of the Chevy you know, having a grand old time, not really participating in any of the violence on the people. Right. Like, he always struck me as the kind that is more about 
the motorcycles and property destruction than anything else. Yeah. It kind of makes me think that aside from Johnny, he's the newest member. Or a very new member. Maybe not the newest. Yeah. You know. But he does seem... Naive isn't really the right, the right word. Just... Not as concerned. Right. And like a follower. Yeah. It's... To me, it's kind of like when you're working a retail job and you started that job like three years ago, but they haven't hired anybody else since you. Ah, so you're always the new person. You're still the new person. So they finally hire someone new and now you've been there for three years. You're a veteran at this point. Right. But now this other person is the designated new guy. Yes. I feel like that could pretty much be clunk. Yeah. Like he still gets sent out on little favors and errands and whatnot, mm -hmm. but he's not necessarily fresh off the boat as it were. Yes. Yeah. And he does, he does take personal initiative in expressing his personality, meaning snatching up the things. Yeah. He, he does have the that mannequins. little klepto streak in yes. him. <laughs> but... I think the first example was that stuffed something was an elephant. It was the inflatable pink elephant. The inflatable pink elephant. As soon as duty called, he ditched it. Yeah. And then we saw the first mannequin that he brought back to the group. They took it from him like right away. Yeah. And but destroyed it. We also weren't entirely sure if that was just... That he was sent for that? Him getting it of his own volition or if he was specifically sent to get it. This is true. So he, he does these things that show his personality, but he, the gang as a whole takes priority over that personality. Right. Which is probably why he's gotten into Toe Cutter's inner circle. His loyalty to the gang as like a whole unit. Yes. It's very valuable. Somebody who is willing to put their own needs and desires aside mm -hmm. to serve the greater good is very valuable. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said earlier about him being a follower. I don't think Clunk would ever get to the point where he would lead his own gang. No, I don't I don't see it. I mean, he strikes me as someone who's just content to be in the upper echelon, in the inner circle. Yes. You know, kind of like how Bubba seems very comfortable being Toe Cutter's second in command. You know, I think yeah. Bubba could run his own gang, but for the time being, Bubba's content. Yes. It reminds me of a quote from The West Wing, the TV show, talking about someone who is second in command. Someone said to him, you don't want to be the guy, you want to be the guy that the guy relies on. Yeah. Some people just like being that second person who faci facilitates the head of the group. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with playing support. Nope. And there's, I, I would put myself in that. Like, I don't want to be the manager. I just want to be a good, a good employee. Yeah. I want to... Support the manager. Um, so I put myself in that same group. And I can absolutely... I see satisfaction in that. So it makes you a good co-host. Yes. <laughs> I'm not in charge. I just support you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Clunk and the rest of them ride off, and we get a quick shot of Johnny, who has scrambled to his feet, and he goes over to his motorcycle, and he starts to lift it. Yeah. And then he kind of... I mean, he. I give him A for effort. Yeah, he kind of... Absolutely. He picks it up like he's able to pick it up. Yeah, he gets it to a point where, instead of being on its side, like the tires have made contact with the ground, he yes. never... Never quite gets it all the way upright. Right, he on never camera. gets it to the point where he actually has to lift its weight. Yeah, uh, which is which is very smart because I know it's a hard comparison between your bike and their bike because your bike is quite a bit larger than their bikes. Yeah. Um, but when a bike goes over, 
That's a lot of weight for a single individual to try and pick that up and get it righted. Mm -hmm. That is a feat. Yeah. So obviously the character Johnny did it by himself because we see him back on the road. But the actor, I, I think the the editing is pretty good. It it shows us him working on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, they cut the camera and a bunch of other guys came by, got the bike up on its wheels. Yeah. And they continue to shoot. Tim Burns isn't actually the biggest and burliest guy in the crew. I mean, he's no Roger Ward, right. for sure. But, you know, credit where credit's due, he did go from the bike being on its side to the bike being at a respectable angle before we cut to a shot of Max pretty much just speeding down the road, Mm -hmm. putting a lot of distance between him and the bikers. Yes. He's still got the supercharger going. He's still thundering along. It's interesting, something that I noted actually a couple minutes down the road in the next time we see him in a similar situation, but it applies here as well. He was in a position of control. Being behind them, he was in a position of control, and he gave that up. Yeah. So now he needs to regain a position of control. So he he creates distance between them so that he can turn around and regain some control over the situation. That's an interesting that you should word it like that. That him blasting through the bikers and getting ahead of them is putting him at a disadvantage because I feel like the whole idea of blowing through them is so that he can goad them into chasing him. Yes, yes. I agree that he does that. But especially in the situation of a car chase, the person in front has has very little to their advantage. The person in the back has everything to their advantage. They're the ones that are able to affect more change upon the person in the front by hitting them. And we've seen it, let's see, in the Knight Rider chase, Mm -hmm. we saw Max exert his control over the Knight Rider when he was behind the Knight Rider, bumping right up against his back. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of when else we have seen it. Well, obviously we just did see it when Max you know, came speeding up behind them. He was able to run one of them off the road. But when you're in front, yes, you have decisions about where you can go. Mm -hmm. But as we see, you know, every day on the news, when there's a high-speed chase, when does it ever end up good for the person running away? Okay, okay. Those are the ones, the, the people in front, they're the ones getting in accidents, losing control, who are forced to leave their vehicles, who make stupid decisions about which way to drive. They're the ones that are carrying all the burden of the decisions mm-hmm. and the people in the back are the ones who have more control. I guess. I agree with you to a point. Okay. Because isolating the conversation to this particular chase, Max is very obviously leading them to a trap. Yes. And so the bikies, as the pursuers, their option is pretty much follow or don't follow, where Max has knowledge of the roads he knows where they lead he knows what landmarks are coming up because this is the area that he has patrolled for years Mm -hmm. and so i feel like him just blowing through the bikers and causing them to chase him like i will admit that they can be clever and hurt his vehicle but i feel like he has such a home court advantage he does certainly in this situation that. that the idea of him giving up control by making this maneuver just doesn't sit right with me Yeah. So I'll concede it in other situations. Just for this one particularly, I feel differently. I like that he turns around. He changes the situation on them. Right. Which is actually the exact same maneuver he did to Knight Rider. Pretty much. 
and he he has, he's lured them into a trap. Mm-hmm. He has convinced them to follow him, and he he traps them in this situation that is their ultimate downfall. Yeah. So as Max puts distance, we see that the bikes are following along, but he puts so much distance between him and them that he's able to blow across this bridge and, like you said, turn around. So this bridge is a place called Kirk's Bridge, and this stretch of road, turns out, was used in several other parts of the movie. Obviously, it's used here where the bikers go off the bridge, but about 100 meters up the road is a little side road where Max is parked at the beginning of the movie during the Knight Rider chase. And what's interesting about this bridge in particular, and it's not so true in... The wide shot when Max initially goes across it, but it's true after he turns around, is that they actually took half of the guardrails off of the bridge so that the bikes could go off the side. And when we see Max thundering back towards this bridge that he just went over, we're actually going to be able to see the guardrails laying on the side of the road. Yes. caught that in the shot. Yes. But going back to the fact that he does hang a Yui after he crosses the bridge, we see a quick little sequence where he breaks hard and yanks the wheel around and the nifty thing about this shot in particular if you're quick at least you can catch on the dashboard that none of the dials are moving which means that they shot him shifting and turning the wheel while the car was parked yeah that makes sense yeah I mean, there's no need to to make it that real. Right. It's a lot easier on the cinematographer if you don't have to worry about G-forces whipping you around the inside of the car. Right. He he's He's done enough. He put himself through a lot for this movie, so we'll give him this one. Yeah. So Max spins around, there's a bunch of smoke coming off the tires, and then he just speeds back towards the bridge. And at this point, we get to see a lot of shot-reverse shot of... Max and the bikers coming at each other. It's the same kind of thing as the Knight Rider chase where we saw shot reverse shot of Max and the Knight Rider when they were getting their little uh, chicken race there, just like you said. Yes, and actually I didn't make that connection while I was doing my research on the minute. That didn't occur to me until I was just talking about chase scenes, Mm -hmm. that how similar this scene is to the Knight Rider scene. Except this time the game has upped because it's not just him going chicken against one person in one vehicle. It's him going up against four individuals on four vehicles. Now, if I understand the scene correctly, nobody really lost a chicken. <laughs> I mean, obviously the bikers lost because they crashed, but they crashed because they didn't they didn't slow down. They didn't pull off to the side. They crashed. Rather than take the measures to ensure their own safety, they crashed. I think when you're having a chicken race, and I don't know if we talked about this before when we were talking about the Knight Rider chase, but I think if you turn away, that's you losing. Right. So the fact that Mudguts and Clunk go off the side of the bridge, the fact that they turned to go off the side of the bridge means that they lost. That they lost. (laughs) And the fact that they went off the bridge meant that they lost hard. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Although... I'm sure this is debatable, but I would say that Diabondo and Starbuck lost more. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't know. See, now when yeah, when, a motor, is... when a motorcycle goes into water like that, first of all, how are you going to get it out? Yeah. Second of all, what kind of damage has been done to that bike just purely from being submerged? Mm-hmm. Never mind any kind of impact damage from hitting the riverbed. Mm-hmm. But then again, we get some pretty good shots of 
the the two bikes up on the bridge just flipping end over end like yeah. they yeah i mean it doesn't matter which camp you're in whether you're team mudguts and clunk going into the drink or if you're team starbuck and diabondo rolling and sliding along pavement neither of those options are good no not at all <laughs> like max is can pretty much rest assured that these guys are out of the race completely. yeah i guess so because what is it that they say where if you hit the water going about 20 miles an hour is that where the surface tension of water doesn't you know give way or something like that there's a certain speed where hitting water becomes fatal yeah, where yeah, it, it's just as bad as hitting concrete. So according to a physicist from askamathematician.com, <laughs> uh, there's nothing terrifically special about water, and even hitting a gas fast enough would feel like concrete. For example, when meteors hit, which are fast, hit the atmosphere, they generally shatter immediately. Well, that's all well and good, Mr. Physicist, but let's keep talking about fluids. Uh, a good way to think about high-velocity impacts is not in terms of things like water acting more solid, but in terms of things like people, rocks, Fabergé eggs acting more fluid. The more energy that's involved in a collision, the less important the binding energy, the energy required to pull a thing apart, is. A general hand-wavy rule of thumb is, if the random kinetic energy of a piece of material is greater than the binding energy then the material will behave like a fluid, a bit more energy, and it will fly apart. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound good for the human body. No, it doesn't. Because I'm pretty sure there are a lot of instances where that's exactly what it is. Like, the impact is so great that the human body just goes, Meh. Yeah. <laughs> it breaks apart. Yeah. I mean, in this instance, it's not fatal. None of these stuntmen were fatally injured, regardless of rumor, what? by this stunt. <laughs> yeah. We don't see the collision that sparked the rumor until Monday. Yes. So we'll get to talk more about that on Monday. For sure. But do you think these characters of Mudguts and Clunk, do you think they're okay? I'm willing to bet, since in the story, they're just bikers. They're just criminals and whatnot. They're not professional stuntmen. I think they were probably stunned by hitting the water. And if they were stunned, they might have been knocked unconscious. And then they're in water, which means they might have drowned. They I could don't know. have drowned. At the very least, these ordinary Joes that don't know how to behave when you're flying through the air into a body of water probably hurt themselves to the point where, oh no, we have no motorcycles. We have massive injuries. Well, I guess we're just going to hang out on the side of the roads and be in hurt. Okay. You know, so <laughs> that's why I'm so sure that they are completely... That they're out of the picture and we don't need to worry about them anymore. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. We are quickly checking people off the list. Right. So let's see. Kundalini. Done. Hand ripped off. He's done. Mud, guts, and clunk thrown into the drink. They're done. That's three out of... Eight. Eight. Completely taken care of. Yep. On Monday, we're going to see what happened to Starbuck and Diabando, so we'll save that count for them. Yes. But yeah, we're slowly ticking names off the list. So this episode drops on May 19th, which means tomorrow is the commencement um, graduation thing for the school that I work at. So that'll be fun. 
congrats to those people for getting their diplomas. And then more on topic, May 21st, which is this upcoming Sunday, in 1982, Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior released in U.S. theaters, which is kind of a cool little trivia thing. Yes, I'm excited to get started with Road Warrior. Yeah. If everything stays on schedule, which I fully expect it to, we'll start posting Road Warrior episodes on Labor Day, yep. which I understand Labor Day isn't necessarily a international holiday at all. So for those that <laughs> Good point. aren't in the United States, the first weekend in September, be... the first Monday in September is yep. Labor Day. September 4th. Okay. It's when we expect to be posting Road Warrior episodes. That seems so far away from now. Yeah, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's a good thing we're going to have hiatus material to tide people over. We would hate for people to forget about us. Yes. Some podcasts don't need to worry about hiatus material. We, on the other hand... Want to make sure we're remembered. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, until Monday... You can go to our website, which is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook, and join our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 80. We'll see you on Monday. Motorbikes and metal men, take me to the end of the dream. Hold on tight, so it's short